Coach C, and welcome to Coach C's Corner, Christine Nielsen. And we are here live today with our incredible law, law friend, legal friend, Shelly Kulra from Kulra Family Law. And recently, Shelly, uh, myself, and Sybil with uh, RBC Wealth Management, we did a Women in Transition event. And we did this as a pilot project, and it got so much traction and so much incredible... Um, I think the word is response, like the response rate was shocking to us that, you know, really women are going through a lot of different types of transition. And so Shelly and I want to talk about one, the event and the purpose of, you know, how uh, a coach, an executive coach and management consultant, a lawyer in family law and a wealth management guru come together to support and help women going through different types of transitions. Now, there's a lot of different transitions people can go through. So when you're listening to this, you will probably hear yourself somewhere in this. So either you've maybe decided you're getting married. That's a transition in your life. So there's certain things that Shelly's going to talk about how to help you through those transitions and what to do you know, during that part of your life. Maybe you've decided you want what's next in your career and you're looking at how do you make that leap. Those are some of the things that we focus on. All of these pieces are transitions. The other piece you might be in is you found yourself uh, getting divorced on the other end of the spectrum where you now need some support that way. So Shelly and I are gonna talk about today the legal elements of transition, change, and what that looks like and kind of the overall impact on the family and on women uh, specifically today because we just finished that program and it was such a resounding success. So welcome to Coach C's Corner, Shelly. We're so excited to have you here and um, we'd love to hear a little bit more about your story and about who you are. Thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Um, so as Christine mentioned, I am a family lawyer. I've been practicing for now almost 12 years and uh, I own my own firm. It's uh, called Cora Family Law and I specialize in all things marriage and all things divorce. Um, so I am typically a financial expert. So I really enjoy helping individuals who are going through a separation on deciding how they should divide up their assets. Um, I also deal with custody and access issues because we all know that uh, when people are going through a separation, we wanna make sure that the children are taken care of. So we really try to focus on what is best for children and how can we help them go through this process because realistically they are going through this process as well as much as their parents are. Um, so my goal is, uh, one thing I really enjoy about what I do is helping people and really making sure that everything is transparent. I find that a lot of people, when they talk about lawyers, they talk about how the law is so confusing. The jargon that we use is so confusing. And I want to really cut that out. Mm. So my goal, from the first time that I meet a potential client to the end of the file, whether it's litigation or they settle by way of a settlement meeting, I want to make sure my client understands every step of the way what is happening. They have to know this is a really big transition in you know, a lot of women's lives, and they need to know what is happening, what does this mean, what does the term custody mean, what does the term financial separation mean. They really need to understand that so they can move on to their better and you know, better and, and new life. Yeah. And that's really my goal at my firm. I'm also very uh, cost conscious. I try to make sure that um, people are keeping as much as many dollars as they can in their pocket. For them. So, uh, 
for their children and uh, I'm sure that they kind of get out of this at better. Just keep talking, Shelly. We had a little bit of a technical break there. They actually look happier and a lot stronger. Yeah. And I, I just, um, I, sorry, there was a little technical break in the in the line there. And one of the things that Shelly just said is really the outcome is that people feel empowered, happier, healthier, and stronger, and really creating that, that what's next. And I think that is such an important piece because, yes, there's all of these confusing emotional times and emotional trauma and, and what people are dealing with when they go through divorce. And that is a big transition for people in their lives. But when we were working together at the seminar and, and just through our conversations, you really uh, have the ability to distill that down into simple steps that they can take where they know that once they get through some of those really painful parts, that emotional turmoil, the other side of that is a new them, is a reinvented version of themselves. They, they, you, you even said people feel stronger. They feel, you know, elevated to a degree, or they've, they've created and are, are into their what's next after they've worked with you, often, you know. And I know that's not the case for everybody. Not every divorce ends in a transition where people come through the other side of that feeling more empowered. Sometimes they don't. Um, <clears throat> maybe we should talk a little bit about that element in terms of the intention, because I think your practice is so unique in how you handle your clients and how engaged and involved you are. When people are going through transition, sometimes it occurs for them like it's never going to end. When you're going through change and not necessarily getting the results, or you're stuck in the battle of the custody, or you're stuck in dividing the assets. And well, those things are really challenging in those moments. What do you usually say to your clients? What what shows up for you and your clients? Well, it's that's a really it's a really good question because that typically happens on every file. Uh, for example, if you have a litigation file and you're in court, uh, we have to deal with court uh, timelines as well. We have to deal with judges being too busy to hear you that day. Or I was just on a case the other day where the court staff made a mistake. Um, and it's not our fault, it's not my client's fault, but it's something that occurs. And inevitably, your client gets upset and they really lose uh, faith in the justice system. Yeah. And what I like to do in those situations, and I find that it's really human nature, it's um, people want to know, how did my other clients fare? What happened at the end? And realistically, what they really want to hear is that, is that it will be okay. Things will work out. And I always say that if you if you stick with the path and you stick with what you want to do, and what I typically like to do is every step of the way I will sit down with my clients and we'll focus on doing a cost-benefit analysis on a file or reevaluating strategy because what the strategy that you have in the beginning of the file is not going to be the strategy in the middle and it's definitely not going to be the strategy at the end. You typically have to evolve as a client, as a lawyer, yes. to make sure that any sort of um, dissatisfaction that your client has with any sort of a, you know, a court hearing or a settlement meeting, that we're able to work with it and tell them that eventually it will be okay. Yeah. Because when you, you know, you can have a file ongoing for three years. So what's good for you three years ago is not how you are as an individual three years later or what's good for you three years later. So you really have to take that and evolve because this is going to be your future. It's your financial future. It's your children's future. 
you have to make sure that you're every step of the way you're looking at what's best for them and really what is best for you. Because like I said, what's best for you three years ago is not going to be what's best for you three years from now. I love that. And that's now. that's one of the things where our, our businesses overlap in terms of you know strategy. So it doesn't matter what the change is that people are going through. And when people are going through divorce, there's there's a multitude of changes that are happening. There's a multitude of transitions that are happening. One, they may need to reinvent their career to figure out how are they gonna how are they gonna make the money, uh, what's next. They but without that strategy and without the ability to pivot their strategy throughout the process of transition, they really can get stuck. And they get stuck on wanting a certain outcome versus understanding you know, if you get stuck on that outcome, you may be leaving things on the table or you may be compromising your overall strategy, as you said, because three years from now, you're not the same person as you were when you started the process. So I think you, you touched on a really critical point is that willingness to pivot, the willingness to go through the process in a bit of a state of flow, but having a clear strategy for what the ultimate end game is like what are the results i want to produce and how do i want to make that happen in a powerful way for myself my family my children Uh, i think that's really critical what you touched on there exactly because i think the the goal really for any client is to think about that end result and that end goal and how do we get there and it's never going to be one path you have to change the path to ultimately get there so we always have you know an initial consultation where we, my, my first question will be, what is your end result? What do you want out of this process? Mm-hmm. And the question, the, the answer that I get in that first meeting versus the answer I get in the middle versus the end is so different. Yes. Because the person has evolved as an individual. You've now gone from being a, you know, a common law partner or a married spouse to separate it and ultimately divorce and a lot of people end up moving on and and they really become happier and better and they realize even if they were not the one to take that step to end their marriage if it was forced upon them they realize that it, it is ultimately better for them and they have evolved as an individual yes. so i really enjoy that part of this is the strategizing of here's our end result and how are we going to get there yes. it's not going to always be path a it might be path b or path c but that's really uh, the part that I love so much. I love it. And it's it's the same in my practice, whether I'm coaching a CEO, a senior level leader or an entrepreneur, you know, where we start and that strategy. And when I ask them, my questions are a little different. I always ask them, what do you want? But what is that in terms of your vision? You know, what is the vision that you want for your life and yourself and your business or in your leadership? And it always pivots and changes as we go through some of the steps and they understand or they take, they let go of what is holding them back, what the perception is of themselves or they grow as they grow and develop. And it happens really quickly. But I keep asking them that question over and over again. And clients will say to me, you keep asking me that question. And I say, because every time you give me a different answer. And so we're moving, we can't have a strategy with a moving target. We have to really develop that as it's like when we finally arrive on what that vision looks like and it's really crystal, then we can create a plan out of that. But if you don't know what you want, then it's really hard to figure out where you're going. Exactly. uh, Let's talk a little bit about in in terms of some of your practice, because you had some great questions at the event and a lot of women who are not going through divorce. 
but perhaps they're on the other end where they're looking at, you know, they've earned enough income and they're looking at partnering or getting into a relationship. And how do they protect themselves when they, before the divorce, before the coupling, before mm-hmm. they've moved in together, uh, maybe they have a house and they want their partner to move in with them. How do, what do they do? What do they do? Because that's a big transition for a lot of people making that choice to, you know, often what happens when we fall in love, it's so lustful and exciting and we, we get so in, impacted by the high levels of emotional response. We forget to take care of certain logistics and things that need to happen to protect ourselves. Nobody wants to get into a relationship and, and, and cohabitate or buy a house together thinking there's an end right? They want to think there's a big future and it's a long future. So we don't get in looking at the end, but if we don't keep the, there's a possible end in mind, we can get really um, messed up. Really. You can lose your finances. You can lose your own home. You can lose your inheritance. There's a lot of things at risk in your life if you don't protect yourself. And a lot of people, um, there's a big battle about, you know, uh, uh, what do you call those agreements? Prenup, cohabitation agreements, or a marriage contract. Mm-hmm. So maybe we should talk a little bit about that for our listeners who listen and are at the beginning of that spectrum um, versus the other end. Well, it, it's interesting, right? And in, in the Women in Transition um, conference was was interesting with the questions that we got because a lot of people are starting to think about it. Uh, you know, even a few years ago, a lot of people would there's a stigma attached. Mm-hmm. with entering into a cohabitation agreement or a marriage contract. And it doesn't have to be that way. Just like you plan for your financial future, you should be planning for your financial future when you get into a new relationship or a new marriage. Yeah. Because otherwise what happens is, you know, every no one goes into a relationship, like you said, thinking that there will be an end date. But the divorce rate is high. <laughs> there may be an end date. You never know. The person you are when you're, you know, 26, when you get married, you're not the same person at 40, right? No. You're different, and so will your spouse be. Yes. So you never know what happens. Um, so in order, if you end up getting into a relationship, and these are, are for the people who get into a relationship, and let's say, for example, you have a home, because a lot of people now have homes, and they get into relationships, and they have their partner move in. So what happens there is if you're in a common-law relationship, and your partner has now moved into your home, and they start you know, doing some renovations, or let's say they paint the house, or they're gardening, or they're paying some of the mortgage or some of the property taxes, even though the home is not in their name, they can now ask for a portion of it when the relationship ends. They can say uh, that, you know, I contributed some of my time and my funds to this property that is owned solely by my partner. And now to not receive a share, they are being unjustly enriched. And it's, it's, a, it's a tough argument to make, but the courts are now changing to realize that not everyone gets married. Mm-hmm. I have clients who have been in common law relationships for 30 years. Yes. And it's grossly unfair to say, oh, you walk away with what you have and I will walk away with what I have. So courts are starting to recognize that these are economic partnerships. Mm-hmm. Even though they're not married, they're partnerships. And they're starting to award the other partner something yes so in order to protect yourself what you need to do is you get a family law lawyer you understand your rights and you enter into what we call a cohabitation agreement now the cohabitation agreement will outline exactly how assets are divided if there's a breakdown in that relationship 
And the beauty of cohabitation agreements are is that if you're thinking of possibly getting engaged and getting married eventually, you could convert that automatically into a marriage contract. Because essentially, in very simple terms, assets and liabilities that are accumulated during a marriage are split 50-50. So if you now lived with someone in your home and you end up getting married, that home is now deemed to be a matrimonial home. And in very simple terms, your partner gets 50%. Right. So if you want to protect yourself, and I will say that marriage contracts don't have to be extremely complicated. They could be very easy. They could essentially exclude any sort of property that you bring into the marriage or any sort of assets. So only things that you accumulate together as a married couple gets divided. Hmm. And I'm starting to find that I'll have these conversations with my clients who are at the end of a divorce. And I always say my last meeting will be, listen, if you get into a new relationship or if you get into a new marriage. I better be your first phone call. (laughs) You better get into a marriage contract because we have to financially plan. Yeah. And and that's what it really is. It's a financial plan. And at the end of it, if your marriage does dissolve, at least now you know how your assets are divided and there's less of a fight at the end of it. Yes. I think it's brilliant and you've given some really great uh, advice um, that people should really be paying you for, but you've done this for me. So thank you for joining us. One of the things um, that I was also really uh, intrigued by throughout the whole process is the ability to, you know, some of your cases go in a way where people are, you know, have a a bigger future in front of them. So let's say they put the kids in front of, and and that's their number one priority. So we're moving back into splitting that asset and they've, they've gone through the whole thing and now they find themselves, we're getting divorced, it's probably been a really challenging transitional time. Not very many people do the Gwyneth Paltrow uh, conscious uncoupling. Remember, um, they're usually there. They did. <laughs> it'd be so wonderful if they did, but uh, a lot of people don't enter it that way. But what do you notice in terms of the children? So, what are some things that um, families can do to help kids through this kind of transition? Because. I think um, myself, my parents were divorced when I was really young and there wasn't anybody to talk about that and or talk to that with because all of my friends' parents weren't divorced. Now that, that statistic has changed, but uh, the stigma also exists around kids who come from divorced homes. You know, there's a whole perception of world around that as well. So what would you advise your clients in terms of what resources can they use? How can they help their kids through those transitions? What are the things that would be of value, you think, before those, so that they can maybe be a little bit more awake when they're uncoupling their relationships? Mm-hmm. Well, I think one of the biggest things is, you know, the test that we use um, in the law is the best interests of the child, right? right? So when you're determining custody or access, where the children are living, and for what duration you're determining what is best for these children in these circumstances. And what I find is, and I always tell my clients this when they're contemplating a separation or they're in the middle of a separation, is we really need to focus on, on what's best for these kids. And no matter how much you may hate your partner now, mm-hmm. uh, you have to deal with them likely for the rest of your life because you have children together. Yeah. So we really need to try to push out that anger and focus on what's best for them. So I always tell my clients that when they're, if they have school-aged children, the first stop should be the school. They need to let the teacher know and any sort of counselors at school 
that this is what's happening at home. So you may see somewhat of a change in my child's life or how they're reacting at school or how they're doing in school so that everyone is aware. Because I believe that when it comes to children, it's not only the parents, it's really the village. Yes, right? it takes a village. It is the village. It's everybody. Everyone needs to have the same plan in place to make sure that these children don't fall through the cracks. Yeah, the and coaches, okay. the teachers, any extracurriculars they're involved in, any support. Exactly. Any coaches, anyone who is involved in that child's life needs to know what is happening so that you could build some sort of a, a strong support network for that child. Because realistically, children may not feel comfortable speaking to their parents mm-hmm. about how they're feeling, especially when their parents are dealing with so much. So what they do is they go to their teacher, they go to the counselor, or they go to their coach. And those people need to know what's happening to be able to lend that support. I also believe that parents really need to try to work together, Mm -hmm. to try to focus on what's best for the children and talk about. In circumstances, it's not always always, uh, possible. But in the circumstances where it is possible, you really need to focus on co-parenting and helping your children through this transition in their life. Yes. Um, there's a wonderful organization in Toronto called Families in Transition. Okay. And what they do is they have um, counselors there, and they help children through play therapy. Mm. And play therapy is wonderful for children, right? I mean, they don't know how to express themselves as well as adults do. Right. So what they do is they express themselves through play. Mm. And through that, the counselor is able to understand how they're feeling, relay that to the parents and really think about and set up strategies to help them. That's great. They also offer a lot of um, courses, parenting courses, because think about this, right? If you've had a a traditional household where the mom has been a stay-at-home mom and dad has, you know, been, let's say, traveling or working long hours and the bulk of the childcare has fallen on mom and now dad has a lot of alone time with with his children, Mm -hmm. you have to understand how to connect with your children, Mm -hmm. uh, how to parent them, how to be on the same page when disciplining them, um, how to be on the same page when interacting with their their teachers, anything, right? Really being on the same page. So setting everything aside and and getting on the, you know, on the same page with regard to the kids and that co-parenting and what do they want, what's best for those kids. I, I think it's it's such an interesting dynamic also because there is all those push-pull and you hear a lot of stories that are very tragic around children who feel like they're in a tug-of-war with their parents. Mm-hmm. Or I go to mommy's house and the rules are this way and then I go to daddy's house and the rules are a different way. So you, you end up with very confused um, kids and teenagers who move then into their young adult life and carry all of that stuff with them. Anybody who's been through divorce knows what I'm talking about. Uh, it's it's an interesting challenge, and I don't think there's a right answer to it, but I love that the resources for families now are so much more abundant and available. Because what is the divorce rate now, Shelley? Just curious. Do we know? Like, I, don't have any, I don't have any stats. Yeah. The stats but are it's, always changing. Yeah. It's really difficult to measure. Yes. Um, but it's, I would say, close to 50%. 50%. So that that's yeah. kind of the stat that's been fairly... Uh, common. common for quite some time now. Mm-hmm. So if 50% of, of marriages are ending in divorce and we don't pre-plan 
because we think it'll never end. We love to think that way. And then we find ourselves in this transition and this, you know, incredible spot. One of the things that I noticed at the uh, conference that we held is that other women were helping and reaching out and lifting up other women. So there was people who were going through a similar situation where there was a divorce or there were uh, some widowed uh, people, there were just different transitions or even people going into marriages or getting into relationships and looking at that common law piece. So there was kind of everything in the spectrum at the conference. Now, when I noticed that, um, what do you say and how do you help your clients to connect with other women who are going through similar situations? How do you, how do you do that? Well, one thing I did want to touch on, what I loved at the seminar was uh, there was one woman who was asking questions about being in a common law relationship and yes. how you protect your assets. And when I chatted with her after, she had about four questions. And when I chatted with her after, it was actually for her friends. And I love that. Yeah, <laughs> she, you know, you you go out for drinks with your girlfriends and you're talking about your life. And she comes to the seminar of, of women in transition and she is essentially asking questions for her friends so she could relay the information. Yes. Back. I love that women help women. We do. <laughs> it's just, it, it, it's such a great feeling. I, I really love that part of the seminar. I, I have a very close friend who is also going through divorce uh, right now. And you were one of my first phone calls because I was advising her. And I said, let me just make sure I'm giving you the right information. Yeah. And you confirmed <laughs> for me so that we could all get behind and help her go through this, this challenge. Tell me a little bit also the difference between, because um, I've heard some new terms, like you can go, when you're going through divorce or that, that space, there's mediation and then there's court. What, what are the differences yeah. there? So the difference is when, you, when you're going through a separation, there's a couple of things to, ways to do it. If it's not that complicated of a file and the two of you are pretty amicable, you could typically just retain family counsel and negotiate a settlement amongst yourselves. So just the four of you, right. you, your, your ex-spouse, and your, your lawyers. Right. Um, in other situations, you have uh, mediation where if you feel that just having your lawyers there is not enough and you need a fifth neutral third party, typically it's a senior family lawyer mm -hmm. who helps mediate the disputes. Um, then you could try mediation. So you would go with your lawyer, your ex would go with, with his with his lawyer, and you would work with the mediator to come to a resolution. I always say the best deal is where no one is very happy. Yes. <laughs> Everyone's a little upset. Yes. Um, mediation can then convert into what we call arbitration. So that mediator, or even someone else that you choose, can act as an arbitrator, which is essentially acting as a judge. So you have a mini trial with your arbitrator who can make final decisions mm. on your file. A lot of people prefer that um, because it's private. Mm -hmm. None of your financial records or your personal records are in the court system because the court system is public. Yeah. Anyone can go to court and pull up your file and obtain your documents. Oh, I didn't know so that. A lot of, they can. So That's a lot of people who want to keep their life private mm -hmm. will opt for arbitration because it's all private. You do have to pay for the arbitrator's time, so it can be more costly, right. but it's definitely a lot faster okay. because we all know with court, uh, dates are dates. very far out. Yeah. Um, so if you want things to be done, um, you know, if you want to ex expedite it, then people opt for arbitration. Yes. Uh, the final step is the litigation. It's going to court. 
And I always try to avoid it. I am a litigator, so I am in court quite often. Um, But my first step is to try to avoid it if I can, because it is is a lot more costly and it's a lot more time consuming. Mm -hmm. And to be perfectly honest, it can be very emotionally draining for clients. Yeah. So I do try to avoid it, but sometimes you can't. I, sometimes you really Yeah, it. sometimes it's like, this isn't going to go anywhere. We're going to go to court, and it's going to be a long, drawn-out process, so buckle up. It's a roller coaster. And, and, it, doesn't, and it doesn't have to be, right? Some yeah. clients, I will, we will go to court, and the first step in a court case is a case conference, which essentially is a mediation with the judge. Okay. And a lot of people settle there. Right. A lot of people simply need to hear what a judge has to say, and they will take that judge's recommendations and they'll settle. Hmm. And then sometimes if the file is really complicated or if they're battling a lot, you will end up at a trial. But we do try to avoid it. I, it's, it's a phenomenal process. And, and fortunately, right now, at least today, my husband and I just celebrated 19 years of marriage. We've been together for over 25 years. So we're, we're holding on for dear life. But we have a lot of friends who have gone through this. And I think it's really fascinating to understand what the options are. And anytime someone is looking at, you know, uh, divorcing or getting into relationships, I think you have some of the, you're just this wealth of knowledge and information. And I think your, your number should be the first number that they, they call really. So make sure you're calling Shelly and uh, we'll put that up on our podcast, how to reach her. The other question, I just want to talk about you really briefly because you own your own family law practice. You're married with a beautiful family. You have two young children of your own. And, you know, what is it like to be a woman in business? Because as it's a practice, it's a business practice. You have, you know, yes, you're a lawyer and that is what you actually do, but you have to run a business and manage your family and do all of those things. Let's talk about some of the transitions that you deal with on a daily basis, because there's the big transitions in life, like the life changes that everybody is like, that was a monumental one or that was a slow kind of process. When you came back and you kind of designed your business, what was it like for you after having had your children versus when you were practicing before becoming a mom? There was a difference, right? There's a huge difference. Yeah. Right? I mean, um, I've always been passionate about the law and I always knew that I wanted to do my own thing. But I thought that it would probably be a bit easier if I ended up doing it after I had kids. I didn't realize that I would do it so quickly after right. I ended up coming back from my second maternity leave. And um, within two months, I started my own practice. I ended up finding some office space and I was like, this is it. I'm ready. And it was a whirlwind. Yes. It's been the one of the best decisions of my life. I love being an entrepreneur. I love being a business owner. Yes. And I really love calling the shots on all of my files. I love being able to take on files that I enjoy and really help people with these transitions that they're going through. Um, it's It's been quite the challenge. I have two little boys who yes. are three and four. Yes. Um, You're right in been, the middle of that. Like in, right, right in the middle. You know, my, my son, my other one was one when I started my own practice, one in a little bit in a couple of months. <laughs> So it was quite challenging because we all know those ages are very difficult. So I don't sleep much, Yes, (laughs) Um, but it's been the best thing I've ever done. It's just, um, I've kind of just, you know, worked through it. I, again, I'm a a firm believer of having a lot of positive people in my life. And I'm a firm believer of um, looking at the end goal. And my end goal really is to grow my practice and really help people. I really enjoy helping people. And when you have your end goal in mind, 
the process to get there, because really, I mean, you're always working towards your end goal, mm -hmm. but the path to get there, I'm really enjoying it. That's I'm amazing. I'm really enjoying this transi transition in my life. Yes. And I would never change it for the world. Oh, I love I hearing that. to be their own business owner. Yeah, I love hearing that. You know, one of our, well, we coach a lot of business owners and, and I am a business owner as well, and I have three children. And it's, I, I like to tout my friend, Randy Zuckerberg, uh, she created this pick three, which is creating the lopsided balance phenomena, where we know that there's going to be times, Shelly, where you're in court and you're having a deep dive week and you're really focused on work. And then there are going to be times where you're, you know, making that space for your family. So you're, you literally put a ring around that and it's like work is set aside and sometimes they collapse onto each other and you need to unpeel all of those things. But I love that you said you love being a woman in business, being an entrepreneur, calling the shots, and knowing that it's okay. It will all turn out. Your children will be just fine if you're in court and you're not there. Do you know what exactly. I mean? I so mean, many women struggle with that. I, I was in court yesterday and I, I got home late and I just made it in time for bedtime. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. And, and I'm really happy. I actually heard about pick three from you yes <laughs> and reading it it really has changed my life because I used to feel so guilty if I wasn't there constantly for my children or if I wasn't there for dinner every single night or if I wasn't there for bedtime every single night and now I've realized you know I picked three yes I'm starting to pick fitness and I'm I really love that yes yeah. coach C is rubbing off on you exactly and, and, and I don't have to feel guilty I'm I'm so sick of women feeling guilty Thank you. all the time. Could we, we really, just stop? Would, yeah. Guilt is such a wasted, stop. useless emotion. It's exactly. a it's a useless, wasted emotion, and it comes from our past. It is not relevant in any way other than it keeps us small and has us feel like we're not always doing the exact thing we need to be doing right now. Exactly. <laughs> right? Yeah. Guilt is such a, it's a real influence, and a lot of women suffer from that in every transition. You know, especially if they're going through divorce or they're doing any of these things. So I think guilt is such a, if we could just annihilate that particular feeling and emotion and create something else, I think we'd all be much better off and less stressed out because well, guilt creates think, stress. Um, exactly. And I think one of, one of the things that you said at the Women in Transition seminar was eliminate the negative people from your life. Mm -hmm. And I think that goes hand in hand with guilt. When you have negative people in your life telling you things like, oh, you should be home for dinner every night or you shouldn't be working so much, then it, it contributes to your guilt. Yes. And if you eliminate those people from your life and you have only positive people around you, then you're able to slowly eliminate that guilt. Yes. And that's what I really focus on. That's really my life motto. Yes. Is only have positive people around me who lift me up. And in turn, I, I feel better about myself and my life and my family. Oh, I love it. I love it. So what are your thoughts? Should we do more Women in Transition uh, conferences? I thought it was a resounding success. We've gotten a lot of positive feedback from it. What are your thoughts? Well, I, I agree. We've had such positive feedback even after everyone was coming up to us and telling us to really make this into something bigger. Yes. Uh, where we could connect with more than you know, 40, 50 women. Uh, really on a global scale because I think that us as women we need to really focus on lifting each other up and helping each other and sharing knowledge I mean 
I learned so much from you in that two hour panel discussion that I now take and use in my life. Yes. So I think that a lot of women can benefit from this and and why not, right? Why why aren't we helping each other? Well, and I I think it's aligned with our life purposes as well, you know, helping more people and really it's aligned with the practices that we both are why. Why are we in business? When you start as an entrepreneur, you need to know why you're starting your own thing. And for me, it's the ability to make a difference. And we make, uh, you know, with women in transition, touching touching so many lives and being able to empower people going through any change, whatever that piece is, whether it's they need legal advice or they need, you know, an, a group of women standing behind them going, you've got this, you will be okay. It will exactly. work out. You know, sometimes just having that support system it does take a village and it takes an entire community. And I love women who lift other women up. You see a lot, I work a lot in corporate settings where I'm watching women tear each other down and it rips my heart out. It just rips my heart out when I see that dynamic go on where women aren't for each other and there's no need for it. You know, there's absolutely no need for it. So whatever we're doing in our lives, you know, building each other up is kind of the premise and and really helping us grow. Because, you know, if you read uh, Melinda Gates' book, Moment of Lift, where Mm -hmm. they focus on is empowering women because that empowers the culture, the community, and the economy out of whatever massive or major uh, trial, whether it's vaccinations, whether it's poverty, whatever those things that people are dealing with, and they are dealing with those things, that Moment of Lift really starts with empowering women to have some choice in the matter and really moving them forward. So I think it's, I think you're right. I, I think we actually owe it to to everyone out there to continue the Women in, Transform, women in Transition um, program, and we're going to design what that's going to look like. So stay tuned. I'm, I'm excited. <clears throat> I haven't seen anything like it before. I've seen uh, women conferences and yeah. stuff like that, but this really focuses on transitions. Yes, and no one talks about transitions. No, a lot of people don't want to talk about separation and divorce, and a lot of people don't want to talk about how tough it is to go back to work after maternity leave. Yes, no one really focuses on it, and I think it's about time that we do. I love it. I agree with you. I think we do need to focus on those things and have those tough conversations and be ready and and prepare ourselves. And how do we do that powerfully? I love it. Shelly, thanks so much for joining us today on Coach's Corner and uh, Coach C's Corner, actually. It's not Coach's Corner. That that title belongs to Don Cherry. Uh, <laughs> but Co- I stole it from Don because I am from Kingston. But Coach C's Corner is uh, our, uh, our weekly show. And uh, we will be doing more shows on women in transition. We're also going to touch on men in transition because we transition differently. We go through changes very differently. Shelly, you also have men in your practice and... and Uh, We'll touch on that maybe another time when we chat about what are the differences between men and women going through change and how do they handle those changes differently. But uh, stay tuned for next set. And uh, thanks again so much, Shelly, for joining us today. And um, see you next time on Coach C's Corner. And don't forget to look up Shelly Carla at Carla Family Curla Family Law. I'm saying it very badly. And uh, we'll send you a note on how to make sure that you do that. If you are going through divorce, she is going to be someone who can hold your hand through that process. Or if you're thinking about getting married, make sure you see her first. All right. Have a great one.